Welcome, everyone. I am Christopher, and this is Orphan Entertainment, the podcast dedicated to public domain media. Joining me on the magic carpet ride this month is the forever tripping Lydia and Mr. Brown Sugar Cube himself, Barry. Hey, what's up? <laughs> Welcome, guys. Hey. Oh, sorry, I was communicating with the energy in the room. Oh, oh. good. Yes. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> I like it. I'm just keeping in, in play with the theme. Yeah, oh, yes. We, uh, we definitely have a um, <laughs> we have a film to discuss this month, I have to say. I'm so <laughs> thrilled to get to discuss it with you guys. I think, I, I think in the end, we're going to have a lot of fun with this one. <laughs> I, I think hope. you don't have an option. No. <laughs> I think we have to have fun with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, well, i tell you what, let's get right into it. We are going to take a short break re- real quick and uh, hear a nice promo put together by the BB and BC podcast for the B-Movie Celebration. I only point this out because I actually know what I'm going to put in this time, and this is a really <laughs> great, uh, fun event that's going to be going on this summer, so I recommend you guys kind of listen and check it out. tired of the same old stuff Hollywood puts out week after week? You know, all those less than appealing remakes? Those films with over-the-top CG and no storyline? Well, we don't have to take it anymore thanks to the 2015 B-Movie Celebration. Polyscope Media presents the 9th Annual B-Movie Celebration. In 2015, we're going to go back in time, back to 1985 to be exact. The 9th Annual B-Movie Celebration will feature the following films from this time period. Fright Night. Malibu Express. The Last Dragon. Invasion USA. Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. Return of the Living Dead. Trencers. Reanimator. Morons from Space. The Stuff. Life Force. Defcon 4. Damnation Alley. Better Off Dead. Godzilla 1985. Along with those 80s classics, we're going to showcase The Blob from 1958 and Death Race 2000 from 1975. So pack those bags, recharge that flux capacitor, and join us for the 9th Annual B-Movie Celebration on August 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2015 at the Brown County Playhouse in Nashville, Indiana. For updated information on this event, bookmark the bmoviecelebration.com website using your favorite browser, and we promise to have you home back in time. Titles mentioned in this promo are subject to change without notice. The Badasses, Boobs, and Body Counts podcast is an official sponsor of the 9th Annual B-Movie Celebration. Okay, welcome back. We are going to discuss the 1974 sci-fi film, in quotes, maybe, (laughs) UFO... Film, in quotes, film, in quotes, yes. Yes. (laughs) UFO Target Earth. This was written, directed, and produced by Michael DeGaetano and stars Nick Placaeus, Cynthia Klein, and Laverne Light. Now, if none of these names sound familiar to anyone, well, you're not alone. <laughs> uh, almost no one in this film went on, the, went on to do much of anything else. Uh, fortunate for some, unfortunate for others. <laughs> fortunate for us. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> well, maybe. I don't know. We'll, we, we'll, we'll get into this in more detail. Uh, De Gaetano wrote and directed two other films after this one, Haunted in 1977 and Scoring in 1979. And then after that, I can find nothing more about him. I would like to mention his uh, his last film, Scoring, which is a PG-rated girls' bas- basketball comedy. Okay. <laughs> Hence the title, Scoring. 
That's not what I was thinking. <laughs> I assumed, considering the time made, I was expecting something more in the vein of like meatballs. No, yeah. see, now I was thinking more along the lane, the vein, the vein, the lane, the line. Anyway, <sighs> yeah, guys, <laughs> it's Tuesday. <laughs> I was, I was thinking more along the lines of um, like, you know, scoring like when you like shred something like if something is scored like <laughs> he made a horror movie in a sci-fi movie i thought surely he went on to make something else where there's you know uh, blood or apparently you did sci-fi did horror and i guess he did some sort of uh comedy or something so. a pg yeah. basketball right. girls comedy yes <laughs> i believe it when i see it yeah no probably i may not. never believe it <laughs> Uh, UFO Target Earth was produced and filmed in and around Atlanta, Georgia, and it includes locations like the Dr. Ralph L. Buse Observatory at the Fernbank Science Center and also Stone Mountain State Park. An actual beautiful park if you guys ever get down that way. It's actually a really cool place. I'm sure they're thrilled to be associated with this film. <laughs> oh, yes. With this masterpiece of 70s art. Yeah, I even did some Googling of the uh, the Fernbank Science Center and the observatory, and yep, it, it is indeed those places. They do, have not changed much. They look exactly the same. Possibly as a product of this movie. Maybe. <laughs> apparently the... Uh, Apparently, the Fernbank Science Center was on the ropes. It was about to, it was going to shut down here uh, about a decade ago or so. But there was a lot of uh, outcry from local community and everything, and they were able to uh, keep their doors open. So, just it, it should be the trivia that I came across while uh, trying to find anything out about this film. <laughs> no, that's good stuff. I, I wonder if anybody ever says, "Hi, I'm, I, I want to take the UFO Target Earth tour." Is that possible? <laughs> Well, I tell you what, next time I'm anywhere down near Atlanta, Georgia, I'm stopping in, and I'm, ha I'm having my photo taken in front of a few places. All right, well, that is pretty much all the trivia and information that I could find, so uh, I guess we should jump right into the synopsis, or at least try Does to. Does it make me a bad person that I didn't even care to look up this movie? <laughs> I, I did, because I felt obligated to, but I just really didn't care very much. <laughs> I, I, and I, that's not to say that the movie doesn't have its interesting points. That's just to say that it did not prompt any interest in the individuals involved in creating it. All right, well, UFO Target Earth. It opens with a reporter interviewing a series of uh, UFO sighting witnesses. Uh, including a, a professor at a local college, uh, an older woman, and a, a farm couple. Now, let me ask you right now: the, the farm couple were they? Is it alien abduction or sexual oppression? I don't know, but I did write down a quote from them, which is uh, the the sensation of being uh, beamed up to the UFO. They said it's like being on an elevator, but no elevator. <laughs> well, now, okay, now you confused me because after that couple, there are also a couple of guys working on a ranch. So when you said the farm couple, I thought I didn't think they were a couple. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the last couple, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I just I remember the uh, the man and the woman, the two, they look like a couple, the maybe farmers or whatever, and she's just so. What's the word? Just wallflowerish, very. Uh, it's probably because it's 1974. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm thinking this, this is probably just sexual repression or something here. And the, maybe they were abducted. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. You know, I, their their account of 
you know, suddenly, before we even had a chance to look around, I didn't write this down, I just remember it. <laughs> before we even had a chance to look around, it was like suddenly there was a voice saying, don't be afraid, it's okay. And then I love that this is, I think, the first hint that this movie is going to be the way it's going to be. The the interviewer immediately pops in and says, you mean they said it in, in English? The voice said it in English? No, we just kind of knew. Yeah, we just kind of heard it inside us. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but you're right. There is another couple, a couple of uh, ranchers apparently, and discuss a a plane that crashed on, on or near their property, and they they point at the wreckage and talk about how the trees and how the, it seemed odd that the plane just seemed to be kind of pushed down into the you know from the sky into the ground, and uh, then we go into one of the trippiest theme songs <laughs> in any film I think we've ever covered. Okay, now what happened? <laughs> To me, was this. I've, we're sharing UFO accounts. I'm going to share my account of what happened at this moment. So we go from these, like, weird kind of, you know, first-hand accounts of UFOs, and then all of a sudden it's like, And the photos are all of, like, I mean, seem to be legitimate UFO photographs, like you see. You search Mm -hmm. it online. But then the music is all, how we going to get close when the moon goes down? I was, (laughs) suddenly, you're in this, like, hey, girl, why don't you come back to my place? Kind (laughs) of. It's what the aliens put on when they bring people home with them. I I don't know. Didn't you feel? Didn't you feel safe? I, you know, I suddenly <laughs> felt like maybe I should be looking for an exit, or at least check my drink so that I hadn't been roofy. I, uh, <laughs> I, just, I I'm impressed you could actually make it out of the lyrics. I couldn't even make out most of the lyrics. Uh, yeah, it was very no, Pink Floyd, kind of a Pink Floyd sound, like wasn't it? I can go with that yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it was a yeah. little. Um, oh, what's the word? Where yeah, it's trippy. I think trippy is the right word for it. I think Christopher you nailed it on the head. Yeah, apparently it was a, it was a song that was produced. It was an unreleased uh, album or song from a group called Eclipse. Mm. Uh, I couldn't find out any other information about them or any other music from. But them. But that's very pertinent to the movie. Oh, it is actually. Yeah. yeah. You guys thought I was joking. <laughs> You're waiting for the punchline. It all comes it together. I'm telling you, there's more to this movie. Did anybody <laughs> notice that there's no hyphen in the title? That's true. It is just UFO target yeah. Earth. There's no very clunky. I, I, I like no hyphen, no no colon, nothing. I was yeah, wondering yeah. if it was like a directed UFO target Earth. <laughs> Do it now. <laughs> it yeah, it's a very cool okay. title design, but the title itself it's uh, it's it's very uh, it's very awkward. I, well, I do yeah. agree with you. The the for for lack of the title plate, I felt like for its time was probably. Whoa, that was pretty cool how they did that. You know, I felt like there were guys mm-hmm. standing in bell bottoms outside with long hair afterwards, going, "Yeah, did you see those titles? That was crazy, man!" <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm not joking. I really feel like that's probably no, I, happened. Oh, and I think I think, <laughs> I think you're right. I think the whole crew probably looked that way. <laughs> yeah, with mustaches. 
<laughs> well, after the, uh, the a lot of credit images stolen from the intro to In Search Of, um, <laughs> we, we meet Alan Grimes, uh, and thanks to a voiceover uh, that we never hear again. <laughs> yes, I noticed that too. But it starts off, and it's very forceful, on the afternoon of March 26, 1974. Yeah, Alan felt- Grimes, you know, dirt, researcher, whatever, blah, 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 university. I felt like if there will make a call, he will change his life forever. If there had been a drum solo going in the background, it would have been the intro to the A-team. On the afternoon of March 26, 1974. Well, Alan tries to make a phone call, but thanks to a big storm uh, some, and some crossed wires, he overhears a call between a couple of military officers. I will point out, uh, this is something that is lost in today. You just can't get in today's film, is the amount of time you could eat up with a dialing a phone call. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Sit there. Let's watch him dial the whole thing <laughs> twice. But anyway, this call that he overhears is appears to be between a couple of military men discussing some unidentified uh, blips on a radar. At the Buford Power Plant and everything else. Exactly. I love it about the Buford Power Plant. It plays such an important, that's really hard to say, important part in this movie. The Buford Power Plant plays an important part in this movie. <laughs> God, that was hard to say. Um, but you actually never go to it. No, 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 we ever get there. We see a uh, like a, a photo or a video of it, yeah. of the outside of it, but you that never has Buford go. on the wall, so we know that's what that is, <laughs> right. but no, we never go there. Uh, it's called budgetary constraints. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to learn a lot about filmmaking during this conversation, guys. <laughs> we are indeed. I love it. What too. to do, what not to do, it's <laughs> well, all here. This conversation that he overhears, you can tell... I, you have to respect him a little bit because it's obvious that the two gentlemen having this conversation are trying so hard to act. I mean, they are <laughs> really working their voices as much as they can, and it's still just dreadful. I love the one one guy says, I have to hide it. All right, yeah. I'm not putting this on a military line and have it recorded. <laughs> and then he says, I send, send somebody out to investigate it. I have to hide it. Well, you know... What does he say? Do it as a routine inspection. And then he goes, wait a minute. I just have this feeling. Something's (laughs) out there. It has nothing to do with the rest of the conversation. And then the next thing the guy says is, well, report it back to my office. Now, this is all a top secret conversation on a public phone line, by the way, that they do on a public phone line so that it won't get recorded by the military. And then he just wants them to report it back to the office. There are some crazy things going on at that military base. Uh, there are indeed. Well, this call, along with the thunderstorm, makes uh, Mr. Grimes uh, kind of remember back. He starts to kind of daydream back to a, a childhood memory that he has. We see a, a young Alan uh, waking up from a nightmare, and his his mom comes in, and he he he's kind of crying, and he's yelling about how the light hurts him, and it it, it hurts him, and it's 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 making them all naked, and. <laughs> His mom's reply is the oddest thing I think anyone could possibly say. Alan? Alan? What's the matter, son? It's that light. Oh, you must have just been having a bad dream. No, it was was like a big star. A star? Yeah, it was covering me all night and making me naked. 
that was your waking star. Everybody's got a waking star, son. Now you just roll over and go back to sleep. What? <laughs> it was Worst kind of a troll. thing ever. It was a troll two moment. It was you guys are fighting. Sing that song. Sing my favorite song. Oh, row, row, row your boat. Where the mother says something that's so bizarre. But yeah, it was totally a troll two moment. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I was confused when the first time I watched this, all of a sudden there's a kid waking up in the middle of the night. I just thought it was some random kid. Yeah, it doesn't – it it takes you maybe like one or two viewings to even understand that that it is um, Alan. Yeah, I think I mean, it you, took you have to actually, She only has to come – she actually comes in and says, you know, Alan, what's wrong? And that's about the only indication that what we see is a flashback. Otherwise, it just seems like incongruous. Where did this come from? Yeah, and right? you you also have to remember the voiceover from a few minutes before that phone call, where he's actually called Alan Grimes. Oh yeah, good point. But but I didn't. I was thinking about the military men. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That's oh, we're just getting warmed up on the level of filmmaking <laughs> in this movie. We haven't even gotten to the boom mic yet. We're getting there. I know. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, once again, uh, like I was saying, you just can't eat up screen time with dialing a phone anymore because we get to see another phone call. This time it actually goes through, and it gets a hold of somebody. Um, I don't remember if we even find out who, but he uh, he arranges I think it's a the doctor. I think that later on, I believe so. I believe I it's one of the yeah the the lady yeah. doctor who uh, right you know and an yeah, inappropriate. I've got her name here somewhere. <laughs> but this is this movie is the paragon of one-sided phone conversations. 90% of the phone conversations in this movie, you only hear the person on this end of the line talking. Exactly. While he sets up a phone meeting with a woman named Vivian. So he meets Vivian immediately. Uh, She seems to have sort of a a connection with something. She's apparently got ESP or she's sensitive to something. Whatever they call it now. That's about as detailed as this film gets, too. It's a very short scene, and it explains absolutely nothing, and we immediately cut to the next day. Except that we do know that at this point, Vivian feels so aware now. And also, that she doesn't like the word beam. It's two-dimensional. No, not a beam, right. More like an energy. Exactly. Well, we see Alan, who uh, meets up with an old professor, I think, of his. This is uh, Dr. Whitham, Whit- Whitham, excuse me. And they have a, a pretty uh, interesting discussion. We see uh, the doctor, he's working in a planetarium, giving a speech to a class. And I'm sorry, did, was Tom Petty in the audience? <laughs> it looked it. It really did. It really looked like Tom Petty. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say that... This five-minute segment is one of – I wish they had taken this conversation and made it the movie because there are so many great little bits here. The, the professor, while he's giving his talk to the class, says that one of the quotes that he d- does is there's a flurry of UFO sightings before and after Comet visits, visits us. And they're talking about Halley's Comet coming. And I remember this from when I was a kid. I had to look up the date, but it was 1986. This movie was made 12 years before it, but they're talking about Halley's Comet. Halley's, if you're, you know, from where I'm from, I guess. But uh, they're, they're talking about it visiting. And I wish that they had drawn more of that because it opens with all of these UFO sighting accounts 
and then he mentions it at this part. And then after that, they don't talk about the comet at all. And they hardly talk about UFO sightings after this. Um, it, you know, then he launches into this explanation of how UFO sightings are always scientifically explainable. It, but this conversation has more meat in it than any other dialogue in the entire film and actually has more direction than any other dialogue in the whole film. I almost felt like somebody wrote this dialogue and then said, this is great dialogue. We should put this in a movie and then just like fluffed the movie around it. But I, and I'm not saying it's great dialogue, but I'm saying of the dialogue in this movie, it's by far the best. <laughs> no, and I, I agreed. I've got that in my notes too, that really the, most of the conversation between Alan and Dr. And the doctor are, <laughs> is, is some, is some of the strongest dialogue in the movie. There is some really great stuff in there. I especially like it when they get to the observatory. Well, if UFOs are also explainable, why do we hear so much about aliens? Because aliens are a part of our modern mythology. People would much rather hear a fantastic story about space explorers than hear about a dull mirage. Keeps a myth alive. We've been brought up on myths. Santa Claus, Sandman, Good Fairy, Tooth Fairy, all the others. The notion of magic is a viable part of our lives. Been with us since childhood. In the absence of scientific explanation, the myth will be nice. It's a, it's, well, and I love he talks about it being part of our modern mythology. And he talks about how we it's more interesting and exciting to us than just you know some reflected light off of a cloud. And so we, we cling to that because it's more interesting, it's more exciting. Exactly. It's fant- and I actually believe it was really good dialogue between these two. It is the highlight of the film, really dialogue-wise. It really is. And then, unfortunately, however, <laughs> Alan says, well, you know, there's something I, I should tell you. You should know. And I'm, and then I'm assuming cut. he's telling him about the whole, that he wants to go investigate this UFO sighting oh, or man. something. Yes. And so the doctor's like, well, you know, this isn't the first time that there's been sightings over near Buford. Uh, maybe it's some unknown electrical phenomena. And, he's, and his line right here is where it all falls down. Hell, what do we really know about electricity? <laughs> And my first thought is, well, kind of everything. Oh, no, no, no. Well, okay, and then the next line, if yeah, you recall, doesn't end there. is electricity is the power source. Well, so is the imagination. <laughs> so one really key thing that we learn here, apparently electricity yeah, but it and makes no are. sense. It doesn't. Insulin it is imagination. makes no sense. I agree. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if you knew this, guys. My the laptop battery died at, uh, days ago, but I'm running this on my imagination. <laughs> <laughs> I just plug the cord into my finger, and you know. <laughs> well, at one point, at one point, Alan actually says this to the doctor, and I wrote it down because this is the strangest like aside I think I've ever heard in a film. And goes, I was taking a flight from California to Hawaii, reading a Playboy. I thought I saw a UFO. Turns out it was just Jupiter. <laughs> uh, reading a Playboy, if I recall. Yes, I totally remember him saying that. Oh, man. That's what I do on planes. No, no, I think I see UFOs, not read the Playboy. That would be oh, yeah, of, of course. Yeah, no. Of course. Of course. Of course. <laughs> well, once Alan leaves the, uh, the, the doctor, uh, we find him at a, uh, a local bar. Oh, no, and, no. Uh, Vivian. This is another, I'm sorry, I have to interrupt you again. This movie, hands down, wins for having the most bizarre music 
ever conglomerated. <laughs> the next thing we get is some country music talking about, I wish I had $100, just $100 bills yeah, once yeah. every day. Because if I did, I would take my one true love and then I'd throw her away. What? I don't understand. <laughs> we have such a weird mix of like, hippie tripping music and country like and then at one point there's a song that's like i'm out in the country i'm out in the country and they're out in the country so it really does explain the location but (laughs) and then the end i will get to the end song when we get closer to that point but it is bizarre there is no congruity in the styles of music and pretty much kind of in the era of music there is even a renaissance um yeah yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> well, Vivian apparently uh, stalks Alan and finds him in a bar. Uh, she wants to know if the oppressive feeling that she felt earlier is still there. She gets sort of a psychic impression from Alan, and she actually manages to sort of read his waking star memory. You know what? I would actually phrase it a little bit differently. Okay. It, let me find it in my notes. Let's see. The way that I would phrase it, and this is reading directly from my notes, <clears throat> And then she gets off by holding his arm. Yeah, I'll have what she's having. <laughs> That's exactly what I was expecting someone in the bar to cry out. <laughs> oh, man. Well, the next scene that happens here is a scene that is only understood in retrospect. Because <laughs> Alan goes and, and meets a woman. And this is, again, what Lydia was alluding to earlier as far as the goofy, the weird renaissance mandolin um, music that's what mandolin music there's like a harpsichord and a mandolin in this scene or something and we don't know who this woman is she's never she's not introduced the entire time that they're talking now he does say uh and this is how i figured out this is who he was talking to on the phone he he says she says something like uh or he says something like why was she there and then this woman says well you did ask me to contact her so clearly, whoever he calls in the beginning of the movie asking to talk to Vivian, this is that person. Okay. Well, apparently, for those of us with shorter attention spans, <laughs> it takes you a while to figure out exactly what's going on and who this person is and how, that she is connected. You you do have to follow the scenes that go on before, apparently, of this one. Well, and I have her noted as his mother several times throughout my notes, but that's incorrect. This is actually... That, a, is, in, that is incorrect, Dr. right. Somebody, and I thought that his mother was Dr. Somebody, but come to find out, I guess I thought because they introduced his mother in the flashback that she was going to be in the movie again. She's not. Nope, nope, nope. Yeah, but they, they, they do have a very highbrow discussion about aliens and, and, and such. And um, Highbrow is a nice way to put it. I would say that she uses $5 words. Well, gosh, what is that he says in Blazing Saddles? <laughs> All right, Dad, if you're listening, fast forward. <laughs> he says, <laughs> you use your tongue prettier than a, what is it, a $2 or something like $2. that. Okay. Oh, my <laughs> God. She uses $5 words like nobody, nobody's business. Whoever wrote this dialogue, and I'm saying this as a writer, is probably the most arrogant person ever to live before me. But there is something that tantalizes us. I can feel it right here in this room between us and something else. If you believe I'm secretly yearning to be converted to the quivering mob seeking alien contact, then you're wrong. I have no reason to believe such creatures exist. And I'm not about to sacrifice my meager intelligence to some whispery illusion. Not without debate. 
Will you help me? How? I don't know. We're caught up in something, and I don't know how to get untangled. Would you help me get some equipment? Do you think tools are a substitute for reason? I need that extension of logic, that objectivity. You're speaking of metaphysics on the one hand and technology on the other. When the circle's drawn, they're joined. Turns out this woman is Dr. Mansfield, and we'll get to get we'll get to know her a little bit better uh, later on. And she's a, another researcher in the same field as, as uh, Alan. Well, Alan and Vivian uh, heads out heads out on the road on a road trip uh, to a lake where many of the UFOs have been sighted. And uh, near the lake is the Buford Power Plant and also a military base. Alan meets with the military general that runs the base. And does any did anyone else find this discussion relatively pointless? Well. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but it, it it was a discussion that just seemed to go absolutely nowhere, and it has absolutely no connection anywhere else in the movie that I could find anyway. Pretty much, well, as I understood it, he goes here to talk to the general, who he suspects, and as we all just assume, is the Dave that's on the phone at the beginning of the movie. Oh, sure. No, I understand why he goes and who the guy is supposed to be, but we don't accomplish anything with this meeting. Uh, Dr. Mansfield decides to help Alan, and here we go, Lydia, we're, you know, we watched uh, Project Kill with some of the worst phone <laughs> acting. I think this is some of the best phone acting I've ever seen. I'll go I've with you seen. on that. <laughs> she is a professional phone actress. Well, Alan, Alien, uh, Alien. <laughs> Alien, Alien, same diff. If Alan and Vivian get together, that's what they'll be, they'll, they'll be Alien. <laughs> So anyway, uh, she says that they'll they'll allow him to uh, tie in with their computers to run data and do some plotting or something along those lines. We don't really know what it is yet, but they're 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 going to help, and she really hopes he finds something. <laughs> I love it. That's exactly what she says. I hope you find something. I really do. <laughs> Every morning, I hope I find something. Alan and Vivian and a boom mic interview a local woman <laughs> about a sighting she had as a child. Best scene in the movie. Oh, my God. Oh, my it is a full part. minute, Barry. <laughs> a full minute of them sitting on the porch with a boom mic over their heads. Do you think the director was like, it's okay, guys. It's cool. Suspension of disbelief. No one's going to notice. That's right. The conversation is going to be so riveting. No one's going to notice this thing that's hanging over your heads and moving you know, to what's, capture the... What's really sad is I assume that was supposed to be part of it. No. <laughs> because no. because the intro is people being interviewed, and I thought, well, obviously they have a camera crew there with them to help them interview this old woman. No, no, sorry. I'm not going to give them a very oh. no. no, I can't, can't give it, no. No, I'm not even arguing in favor of it. I'm just admitting my own fault. <laughs> It's like it all comes together, man. It's like a documentary, you know, like a like. A <laughs> I did keep. I think Barry. I think you're right. I think because of those introductory, you know, uh, interviews. Thank you for that word. I think that I really expected it to come back to a documentary, and it's the '70s, so I should have known better. Well, this scene is set to a tune, and I guess I guess we only have one tune by the band Eclipse, so this isn't Eclipse, but it's another like kind of a John Denver-esque song that plays <laughs> pointlessly over the scene, almost drowning out the dialogue, while the boom mic is visibly going back and forth trying to capture <laughs> the dialogue now, you can't hear. Barry, I have to disagree with you on that. I believe that 
set. No, I'm serious. I think they added the music in this part because it's meant to emphasize the fact that um, Alan is kind of zoning out and getting sucked into this woman's story. I honestly, the first time I watched it, the second time I watched it, I thought he's what, you know, the music is there to kind of drown out everything else to kind of point out that he's getting sucked into this. And, and he's having that kind of, he gets these zone out moments at various points of the movie. And I think it's there to highlight that he's having another of those. Yeah. I'm with you on that one, Lydia, but it is weird music. According to this woman's story, during an eclipse, she saw something uh, fall from the sky, and uh, she thinks it might have even fallen into the lake. All right, well, we get some more very dramatic phone acting from Dr. Mansfield. I mean, she is a professional at this stuff. I will go she with gives her. good phone. She does. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so Alan and Vivian begin to set up some sort of uh, sensors around the lake. Uh, Vivian is... Here's a uh, one of these as, as great of a dialogue as we have in other places of the film. Here's one of those places where the dialogue really has you scratching your head. It's the strangeness of this place. I I feel like I've been here before. A déjà vu? I don't know. Do you really believe that that equipment will verify what I sense? I don't understand. I feel like you're using me. That you're trying to bind my soul by your technology. Well, we're all bound by it in a way, aren't we? Look, if there is something here, we'll find it. And if there isn't, then there's nothing to be afraid of. Hey, nothing is going to happen. What does it mean? <laughs> I wondered at that moment if she had some heritage we didn't know about. Yeah, um, heritage? You know, like people have, thinking their souls are captured if you get them on film. Oh, I see. Okay. That kind of thing. Yeah, I think cute. she's just a freaky broad, but anyway. Hey. <laughs> I'm sorry. all too sober while we watch this like movie. That's the problem. Said, in UHF, I told those guys never to call chicks. <laughs> While Alan is off on his own, Vivian has some sort of psychic attack and runs off into the woods. Dr. Mansfield and her assistants show up at the campsite, and together the three search for Vivian. Uh, they find her in a circle of bent trees in some sort of a hypnotic state, and she almost appears like a crazed animal. Now, this is actually one of those moments where I think she does a really great job. I do agree. The acting is very good and the the plot moment makes no sense. <laughs> uh, I won't say it makes no sense. It seems a little bizarre, but I, I, I think it makes some sense. No, I think it makes no <laughs> sense. She suddenly turns into a completely different person and do you know what bear, what's really important again about this moment is the bearing it has on the plot which is absolutely none. No bearing at all on the plot. Yeah, <laughs> okay, yeah, not so much. But no, I, I do think she is uh, actually does a really great job at this moment with her acting and being sort of the, the, the almost feral creature that she is uh, supposed to be I at do this agree. moment. Yeah. 
it was very creepy. It was actually kind of almost to the almost to the level of being sort of unsettling watching her, I thought. Well, despite being warned that if they enter the circle, uh, she'll die, Dr. Mansfield goes to Vivian and talks her back from wherever it is she was. Mostly by saying it's okay, right? Yeah, yeah, see, that's okay. Yeah. And picks her up and uh, she's fine and everyone leaves. And that brings us to about the 50-minute mark. And honestly, I'm not really sure what happens after this, <laughs> even after seeing the film a couple times. Alan devolves into Kirkism. There's an M. Light Shyamalan moment where the doctor explains everything and then completely just discards it. There's a 70s low shot of a conversation with music over it. It's very dialogue-heavy. Then the doctor gets sick, the TV flips out, Alan starts tripping, and then he suddenly gets old, and that's the end of the movie. Yeah, right. I think that's pretty much sums it up. <laughs> I, I have that in my notes. <laughs> and there is, it's worth noting that there is a three-minute section of special – I hate to call it special effects. We'll call it light effects, where there is pretty much nothing else going on. So if you are – extremely high on LSD and decide to watch this movie, it will probably be one of the most amazing experiences of your life. Wouldn't that be redundant, though, to take LSD and watch it? <laughs> what a waste of, of LSD. Well, what I wanted to throw from my notes, uh, I was about 40 minutes into the movie, and it finally hit me that the leading man actually resembles a more dashing Bill Hader from SNL. <laughs> Want to throw that out? Uh, yeah, the, no. The one moment I think that actually matches the port scene with the visible boom mic in terms of just hilariously bad filmmaking, I think we jumped over the moment, or maybe we didn't, where Alan and the female lead are in the van together parked outside. And he says, oh, right. and he says the, the, the closing of the scene line is energy force with a bright pattern. And the camera pulls back. Flight patterns. Okay, flight pattern. Light pattern. Excuse me. And stays. the camera pulls back, stays on them for, what, three seconds, and then finally cuts away. Yeah, it, it, is, it is an awkward um, cut, there fade, is, transition. This film is comprised of awkward cuts, fades, and transitions. That is, the timing in this is painful. There will be a line of dialogue, and then a three-second pause during which you think, is, wait, did I miss something? And then somebody starts <laughs> speaking again. That is the pacing of this movie. The pacing of this movie is, Wait, did I fall off again? No. See? No. Oh, that wow. You're right. Yeah, you did there. of this movie is when you think you got disconnected from something. <laughs> That's what it is. Well, late in the film, there's a montage of every prior scene. There's like a montage of every there scene is. in the movie. It, it, that, that has to be the absolute definition of filler. What filler is. It's every <laughs> scene we've previously seen. We don't need to see them again. And you're absolutely right. I mean, the animation. I mean, let's talk about this for a second. And after a while, I mean, you know, clearly they're, they're trying to do like a Kubrick thing where the, the sound effects and the imagery are meant to be like a cheap bargain based version of the ending of 2001. And the imagery themselves, I mean, it, it looks kind of like a cross between a screensaver or kind of the graph of ringworms mating. But <laughs> my Jerry Springer final thought in this movie is that I suspect that uh, that whoever the writer-director of the film is, I respectfully think that they must have gotten their hands on some really groovy animation and made the whole movie around it. See, this is my problem with this film. I think the director at times had some really great ideas. I mean, he wrote and directed this thing. It's the, his, his is the only writing credit. And it, it almost feels like, you know, 
you know what scenes he wrote are are the ones that are closest to and nearest from the last hit on the bong. <laughs> there are some really great stuff in here, and then there's just the most ridiculous uh, crap, I guess. Um, and you know, and we were talking about you know some of the acting and the actors. I honestly think most of the acting in this is fairly solid considering what they had to work with. I do agree. Mm. There's some Kirkism in it, but I do agree. I mean, there are moments in this where you're kind of, like, it's understated enough that you don't notice it, which is really big. Right. Well, considering that, for the most part, they're all at least amateur film actors. I don't know if they have stage credits or anything to their names, but as far as film goes, there's most of them did nothing before this. And then they appear in this film, so I think they actually do a really bang-up job. Yeah, I, I think you have a strong argument there, talking about the, the material being as weak as it is, the acting is not dreadful. And that that sounds like kind of a backhanded compliment, but really not, considering a lot of the material. <laughs> No, I think there is some. I think even the writer shows some talent, but unfortunately, he's trying to reach for something. I think I think his reach exceeded exceeded his grasp. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, no question. The guy who plays Grimes, Alan Grimes, he really has strong presence. But here's and you know certainly, I mean, the camera likes him, and he's you know you're absolutely right. He's very effective in the role considering what he has to work with. What I can't believe is that this is a movie. <laughs> I can't believe this film got made for one thing because I do agree with you. It does seem like there was a great deal of uh, of marijuana consumption during the making of uh, conception of pre-production, production, and post-production of this film. And I can't believe this guy made made two other films after this. That is astonishing. Yeah. Well, you will note that the last film he made was in 1979, and they they weren't spread very far apart. So I would be curious to know if he was around after that. I mean, I, I did. I haven't seen his other movies, but I feel I, I feel like he was ambitious in the subject matter of the movie, but everything else just didn't line up correctly. So, so it was an ambitious project that fell short, basically. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, unfortunately, so I, I think. Maybe if it wasn't written, directed, produced by the same guy. Maybe if there was other hands in the pot. Um, who knows who edited the thing? I didn't even look. Uh, hopefully yeah. it wasn't the same guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Although that um, may make some sense. Yeah, maybe. Maybe if it was if it was a script that was handed off to a, another writer to, to do some rewrites and, and maybe some re-edits, and, and maybe if it was a different, the same writer but maybe a different director... I'm not going to say we could have ended up with anything better. Maybe not. Maybe we would have ended up with something worse. But it, it would have been interesting to see what you could have come up with with, I, I guess, more ha- more hands on deck. Yeah, I can see that argument. Uh, I, yeah, I don't really have anything else to say about the film. <laughs> I think we've well, spoken about it more than anybody on the set ever did. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have a couple of things. Um Okay. This movie puts money where its mouth is because it really does throw it all down and hope that you can snatch up a few moments of truth. Oh, that's very, uh, it's a very line deep. from the, it, no, it's a line from the movie. When it's, <laughs> 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 but I just 
learning. Make a film now. Wow. I, I, I do that a lot. You know, but I do want to point out that I learned a couple of really, really important facts from this movie. One is that electricity and imagination are both power sources. True, right? That, that's what LeVar Burton says. It Apparently. <laughs> and the other thing I learned is that country love consists of sending one's own true love away. <laughs> so, wow. Got that from UFO Target Earth. My gosh. Wow. Hey, you know, one's a lyric and one is part of a, a deep conversation. But really what I took away from this movie, the very end, just what it, what it made, turn, how it changed me was that it made me really want to watch the Hudsucker Proxy again. Because that yes. theme song is the end theme song the Hudsucker Proxy. I had no idea that it existed before that movie. And honestly, the greatest contribution of this film to anything in the world is that it contributes to the Hudsucker Proxy. And that, by the way, guys, is a great movie. Highly recommended. Not in public domain, but please watch it because it's that tongue-in-cheek. If you haven't seen it, you're missing out. And Tim Robbins is just great. I couldn't I agree do. with you more. And I love that you circled in on that piece of music, which is so gorgeous. And it is the, the music that – I'm not even familiar with the composer. But, yeah, it's the bookend music for the, for the Coen Brothers' Hudsucker Proxy. You're absolutely right. Oh, very cool. A beautiful piece of music. And when that came on at the end of this movie, I had just struggled through an hour and a half of one of the most confusing pieces of film I've ever seen in my life. And that song came on, and I actually considered raising my scoring of this film by a half a star just for, wow. <laughs> just for that song. Because it is, you're right, Barry, it's a beautiful piece of music. And, and it's no wonder that they took it and used it somewhere that was a little bit more befitting of its of its beauty. Half a star is still too much for this movie, though. Let's be honest. <laughs> well, absolutely, that's why I said I considered raising it half a star. Okay. All right. Well, before we get to our ratings, I do want to mention that uh, Daniel Sample on our Facebook page commented he apparently said that this afternoon he sat and watched this, and now I'm a he, he was apologizing to his mind by drinking a nice box of wine. That is, you know what, I'm apologizing to him right now because, well, you know, we can't know ahead of time and that's part of the adventure of, of Lord Entertainment. He says, at first I thought it was going to be a pseudo-documentary like The Legend of Body Cr- Boggy Creek. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But that was just the intro and it did go on a bit too long. Then the title sequence came and things got very strange indeed. <laughs> The ending was a bit confusing, so I'll need to watch it again. However, I don't want to spoil for anyone who hasn't seen it, so he's not going to go into any details. But he did like the nice cameo by the lost skeleton of Kadavra. <laughs> Very nice. Nice. And as odd as the movie is, I really had no idea where it was going. And because of that, I am more likely to watch it again than some of the more recent blockbuster movies Holly Weird keeps throwing at us. That's okay, well, I, was, I thought that was an interesting take on it. Yeah, I thank actually, you for writing in. That's great. And, and I actually, I think I agree. Yeah, I was, through the whole thing, I was confused is, you know, maybe a little bit derogatory, but definitely surprised. Yeah, I, I actually, I replied to him, I, I did mention that, you know, after watching the film a couple times, it, it's a movie that you want to find something more in, but <laughs> you just can't. Well, you know what? Country love, guys. Country love. That's it. Country, Country love. All right, then. Well, then I guess we should give our ratings. Who wants to go first? Who wants to give the first Othel rating to UFO Target Earth? Ladies first. Gonna, no, I was going to throw Barry under the bus. Go. 
No, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I'll tell you what, I will, I will break the uh, the competition between the two. I will go ahead and give it a rating. <laughs> I'll, I'll go first. I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to give it a one and a half. Just because I don't, I don't think you can give it none. <laughs> I'm going to give it a one and a half, and the half comes from the fact that I think, I think people really did try to make an interesting big think film. I don't think anyone just went, yeah, I got this idea, and I got this equipment. Let's throw it together. Oh, uh, throw stuff together. And, <laughs> and uh, well, I said something and, earlier. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, and, and make it, and, and we'll, we'll we'll call it a movie. I don't think that's the case. Someone really tried to do something, and I will give them credit for it. Unfortunately, like we said earlier, it just didn't gel. So I and certainly, like I said, for the acting alone, I think it's worth some credit. And so I will give it a one and a half. Huh, that's fair. All right. <laughs> so, so there, I broke the ice. Now, which one do you guys want to go next? Uh, I'll, I'll go. Lydia, did you see your dad listens to this? You know, he <laughs> commented on the fact that I do it. So. Maybe. I don't know. Probably not anymore. He is a He's generous, probably... generous, loving man if he got this far. God bless you, sir, if you're listening. Um, my review of the film, oh, I will respectfully disagree with you, Christopher. I think you can give this film zero stars. Um, <laughs> we know from this point in history that overzealous hippies can make great genre films. George A. Romero uh, and uh, his Night of the Living Dead and certainly... John Carpenter, when he made Halloween, nothing but a bunch of long-haired, overzealous hippies making an effective genre film. I don't think this movie is in that caliber. Um, I could just see aspects of... And for me, the, the things about the movie that work are accidental. That's why I can't give the film any credit, because for me, it's it's uh, it's like a broken toy. It, it's interesting for reasons that were never intended. So i got to be mean and say, I, you know what, the whole time I'm watching this, I'm thinking, I, I think I like Beware of the Blob much, much better than this. So zero stars for me. <laughs> All right. All right. Fair enough. See, and that was, as I was, try- I was trying to say that, we kind of got a little bit chopped up there. But uh, I, I wasn't sure if we were able to give zero Opal ratings. Um, so I mean, if if you truly feel it, it warrants it. Zero to five, or from one to five. But if it's from zero to five, I'm going to say no Opal. I I totally agree with Perry on this one, and the reason is because it just is awful. <laughs> it's awful. It is awful. <laughs> no cohesion in it. It just I, it. I have written, okay, guys, I'm going to toot my own horn a little bit here. I've written five books. I've not published them, so don't go looking for them online, guys. They don't (laughs) exist online. But I have written better crap than this (laughs) in in my sophomore year of high school. And and that's not, I'm not knocking the man who wrote this. I'm just saying there's, there's, a period of writing and then there's a period of rewriting and reconsideration. And it's like this never went through it. It's like they had an idea and so they wrote down a bunch of stuff and then they never went back and reconsidered it. And that's where it falls short for me that there's, there's no fine tuning. There's no correction in it. There are so many gaps of pacing. There are so many failures of continuity that it really, it's just, it's, 
it, the music even, I think individually the music is not horrible, but it's a grouping is dreadful. It makes no sense. There isn't any part of this movie, the writing, the directing, the production, um, you know, nobody who acted in this went on, on to do anything. And I think that's a good indicator of the quality of the film, not just the quality of the film, the quality of the acting in it. There's just so much in it that's just confusing. I'm talking too much, but my point is I, I can't find an argument to give this any kind of a rating. And I, I think that's the first. I, I think it's worth noting that that's the first. Okay. No, it's all fair. I, I understand, and I, I will agree with it. You, you guys have your opinions. That's fine, and you know, it's not like I gave, but it's not like I gave it a lot more. You know, well, if, you can give it, if you can give it one to five, I would give it a one. If one is the lowest rating, that's what I give it. If we're able to do zero opals, I give a zero opals. I, I will look and decide whether or not we can truly give it a zero. Or <laughs> I, guess, I guess we can. We've said as much. I, I, I think our original ratings was one was going to be you know the lowest. Don't for, forget forget we even mentioned it. Yeah. And five was you, you have to see it. And so. I'm okay with that. I, I think the one thing I want to mention uh, I, I, there are other movies that exist that I would give a, a one or a zero rating to. It's not just this one. This isn't the worst film ever made, but it's down in kind of the bottom. (laughs) Right. um, So I just wanted to make that point that I've seen other movies, you know, in the last six months that I would rate the same as this one. That doesn't mean that you absolutely should never, ever watch it. I think this would be a really great uh, drinking movie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Just saying. (laughs) All right. Well, I think... We should probably stop right now, then, and not say anything more. We've suffered uh, or, enough. Yeah, we, we've suffered enough, and we'll only start getting angry at each other about watching this film. So we will, we'll we'll move on. Uh, I want to thanks everyone for for listening, and I hope you continue to download Orphan Entertainment. You, of course, can do that through our homepage at orphan-entertainment.jonja.net by subscribing through iTunes, where you can give us a rating and leave a comment. And please don't base it strictly on this film alone. And you can listen anytime and anywhere on Stitcher Radio. And please come and join our Facebook page at facebook.com slash groups slash Orphan Entertainment, where, of course, you can yell at us for even suggesting that you watch this film. Well, then that is going to do it for us. All right, Lydia, Barry, thanks so much. I know I kind of um, I led you into this one, so my apologies. <laughs> I thought it would be interesting. I thought it would be kind of fun to uh, discuss this one in a more critical mind than I think I ever have before. So, <laughs> No, thank you. I'm glad I saw it, so I never have to see it again. And I think it's safe to say that nothing <laughs> we ever watch on this program will ever be as bad as UFO Target Earth. <laughs> well, I think next month we are going to have a little bit more fun. We're going to delve into something we have not done before. We're going to delve into some early television and take a look at some very early sitcoms. And I think that's going to be kind of interesting. Yeah, cool. I'm up so uh, we will have those episodes that we're going to discuss posted on our YouTube channel and where you can check them out, and including a really kind of nifty new intro for the videos, too. I think you're going to like it. I, you know, I'm, I'm happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, okay, that'll do it. Lydia, Barry, thanks very much. Thank, Thank you. Mahalo. All right, bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. We are beyond the jaws of darkness, where the light springs from the consciousness of your mind 
and bends upon itself to become the truth.